of enveloped in a big PCC hug this morning, and you can't walk 10 feet without the greeter coming up and saying greetings, and, and just Gary and Aubrey and Hannah and so many others that have just, just shown the love of this community. I feel so welcome. So I thank you for that. Gary, I'm, I'm hoping that you and I can break into Mothers Together. I just feel like that's going to happen. It's going to happen, man. <laughs> well, uh, I want to introduce you to my family real quick. Got a couple pictures here. These are my, my kids. Um, and, you know, they look, especially this morning, they're in Sunday school. They're in their Sunday best. They're going to look really innocent. I warn you, they're dangerous. So just be careful. And then this next picture, this is Rachel. You met her just a moment ago. Not only is she an amazing mother, but she's actually quite an intense runner. And you can see what it does to me when I try to run with her. So if she asks you, to, if she invites you to go run in the hills here, do not say yes unless you're ready to suffer. Um, well, I want to I start this morning by uh, looking back in history for just a minute here. Um, and a practice, the, the ancient Romans ha- had a way of getting rid of babies that were not wanted. It was called exposing. And if a child was unwanted because it was malformed, or perhaps because it was the wrong gender, or arrived at the wrong time, it could be taken outside the city walls and left there for the wind and the storms and the rain and the wild animals to do their work. But the early church, although at that time it was a small and persecuted minority, it earned a reputation as a people who would go outside the city walls and find these children and pick them up and bring them in and begin caring for them, sometimes raise them as their own children. And this reputation as a people who defend the orphan, who care for the fatherless, this is something that has defined the church and its best throughout history. You even look at some of the early church documents, and actually some of them record that to be a candidate for elder, you had to be required, you were required to be known as a lover of orphans. And there were various figures throughout history who, who, who really led the church in this. And you, you see this all throughout the histories. Some of you have heard of George Mueller in the, the, the 19th century in England, and all the way through, Christians have earned this reputation. And I, I will tell you, in, in my work, I have the chance to work with churches all across the United States and in other parts of the world, too, who are really seeking to live this out, kind of re-earning this reputation. God's people known as defenders of the orphan, defenders of the fatherless. And, and so it, in some ways, begs the question, why? Why is this something that has defined the church? And why is Scripture so strong in calling God's people to be about this work? And I will tell you that I have come to believe that it is about much more than just another good cause. And that ultimately, as we look closely at this, it reveals an immense amount to us. It reveals a lot to us about the orphan. It reveals a lot to us about our Father's heart. And it reveals a lot about what God wants for each of us. And so that's what we're going to be exploring together this morning. And and as we jump in, I I do want to add kind of a caveat that, you know, as a result of this discussion, there may be some people who feel spurred towards adoption or fostering or mentoring or working in family preservation work. And if that's the case, I praise the Lord. But that is not my deepest desire for this morning. My, my prayer, my, this is specifically what I prayed for this morning, and, and it's for you and it's for myself, is that together we will see our Father just a little more clearly this, 
this morning, that we will understand his heart, his true character, just a little more deeply. Because when we do, we begin to become more like him. Because we as humans, we become more like that which we love. And as we do that, the world will see more of our Father's heart in us. That's my prayer. So, so jumping back into our, our, our exploration here, that you know, the, the, the Bible says so much about the orphan, first of all, because children without families are the most vulnerable beings on our planet. Children without families are the most vulnerable beings on our planet. Let me just give you one glimpse, one facet of, of this. Let's look at this first slide here. So this is actually from a study that is currently ongoing in Romania by a Harvard professor named Charles Nelson. And he, he is studying children who are growing up in orphanages outside of the care of loving families. These are very low-nurture orphanages. And these here are actually two brain scans of two different children in Romania that are about three years old. The one on the bottom is of a child that's growing up in a family. And it's not necessarily a great family, but presumably there's a father and mother who, who hold and care for, and if a child cries, picks them up. And, and that child's brain here, if you look at the top part of that very slide, that's the red part there, that is the frontal cortex. That's the, the part of your brain that's the, making decisions and analyzing it. It's critical to being able to, to live a life well lived, right? And you see that that child, that part of the brain there is red because it's active. That's showing activity. It's actually, it's like it's on fire. The, the synapses are firing. The neurons are all active. And that causes the child's brain to grow in that space. That's what is supposed to happen. But if, if you look at that top slide there, that, that is the brain of a child that's growing up in a low-nurture orphanage. And, and if you look at that frontal cortex there, there is almost no red at all. That is because that child is not experiencing that connection and that care and that responsiveness from adults. And so that front part of their brain is not active and then it does not develop it as, as it is supposed to. And so this, studying has, this study has actually found now that children who are growing up in orphanages for every two months that they spend in these orphanages actually lose one IQ point. And the, what's interesting, the study is actually finding that if you move the children out of the orphanages into caring foster homes, that much of that, that, that lag is actually can be caught up. It can be reversed. And if they're moved into an adoptive, a permanent adoptive family, it's almost completely caught up if that happens before age three. But, but the point remains that the children who are growing up without the love and nurture that God intends the family to provide are immensely vulnerable. And this does not just stop when a child turns three or four or five, but this actually continues all through childhood and even into adulthood. And so you see this vividly, for, for example, in the realm of human trafficking. There was a study in Moldova that found that girls who are growing up in orphanages are ten times more likely to be victims of trafficking than other girls. There was a study in Zambia that was actually studying girls who are child prostitutes. And they found that three quarters of these girls were orphaned. Their average age was 15. Many of them were quite a bit younger than that. They made an average of $2 a day sleeping with four men every day. And it's not just over there in these far off places. The head of Florida's Human Trafficking Task Force estimated that 75% of the child victims of trafficking in the United States come out of foster care. Why is that? There's, there's a young woman that I've had the privilege of beginning to get to know, T. Ortiz. And T spent 
18 of her years, all her growing up in foster care. And for seven of those years, she was sexually exploited on the streets and in strip parlors and these different different things. And, and she explains the reason that happens is because when you don't have the protection of family, you're the ideal target for the trafficker. And she, she described, you know, if a foster child goes missing, no one's going to put out an amber alert. That's what she said. And, and she said this too. She said, for me, as, as unfortunate as it is to say, the most consistent relationship I had in care was with my pimp and his family. See, in the foster system, she just bounced from home to home to home. So the only thing that provided that consistency that every child desperately needs was this guy that wanted to exploit her. And, and you know, even when it's not quite so vivid and dramatic, that vulnerability is, is so strong. I, I think of another young woman named Che. She, she was in... Tennessee in the foster system there and and she she was very a responsible young lady um, even though she had not had almost any good family to speak of but she at age 15 she got a, a job and she then needed to acquire kind of an old used car to get to and from work and and so one day she was driving home from work and her engine started smoking and she pulled over to the side of the freeway and jumped out of the car and flames started coming out and the whole car was just consumed and she explained to me she said you know, I knew you needed to put gasoline in the engine. No one ever had said anything to me about oil. Just those little things that you learn, that you experience when you're growing up in a healthy family. Children without families are the most vulnerable beings on our planet. But the Bible's emphasis here does, does not only reveal that, it also tells us an immense amount about our Father. So, you look at this next slide here. Does anyone know who these folks are? Anyone remember from fourth grade mythology? Who, who are these guys? The Greek gods, right? The Greek and Roman gods. And aren't they just amazing? I mean, doesn't it just inspire you to worship? <laughs> no, of course not. Because this picture shows how petty they are and vain. And you remember the stories. They're always sniping at each other and playing these, you know, jokes and tricks and schemes and and they're just so small and self-absorbed and, and then you think about you know who was it that they were really interested in i mean mainly themselves but but then if they were even paying attention to humans right it was like the generals and the olympic athletes and would they have been interested in us i mean maybe gary but you know i mean i can't even keep up with my wife when we're running they wouldn't have given most of us the time of day, right? But then you turn to the God of the Bible. And this, this passage in Deuteronomy, back in the Torah, and it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Wow, so utterly different than those Greek gods. Utterly above, utterly transcended. And yet, I think the next line is even more powerful. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien. That God who is utterly above, utterly powerful and transcendent, and yet most concerned for the most vulnerable. 
And so as we grasp this and as Christians begin to, to, to reflect this in action, whether that's fostering or adopting or mentoring or helping broken families come back together, we are just giving a small reflection to the heart of this God. See, it's, it's, it's not just that there's a mandate in Scripture. I mean, there is. Like, for instance, you look at Isaiah 117, it says, defend the cause of the fatherless. That's, that's a mandate to God's people. But, but more importantly, you, you look back at this passage we were talking about in Deuteronomy, and it has almost the same words, but it says, he defends the cause of the fatherless. Or that passage in Psalm 68, it says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. He sets the lonely in families. It's not just an imperative for us. It is an expression of who God really is, an embodiment of who God really is. And you see the same thing in the New Testament. You know, James 1.27, many of us know that verse. It talks about that pure religion is looking after or visiting or caring for orphans and widows in their distress and keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. So there's a, a sense of calling to us in that to, to look after, to visit, to care for orphans and widows in their distress. But, but actually, that same Greek word, you look back at the very beginning of the New Testament and in Zechariah's song, where he realizes that God is at work and he is, he is, he is going to be sending John the Baptist to, to, to pave the way for the Messiah. And he says, praise be to the God of Israel who has come and redeemed his people. So, so when we live this out, even in very small, humble ways, we are giving a little reflection to that God's heart. And I think most importantly of all, what, what we need to grasp is that this is, this is not just the orphan story. This is our story, right? Because what is the gospel? But that God came outside the city to find us when we were destitute and alone. He picked us up and he holds us close to his heart. He embraces us. He adopts us. He invites us to live as his sons and daughters. And he, and he gives us the full inheritance rights with Christ and his family name. So when Christians choose to live this out, whether we adopt or, or fostering or caring for vulnerable kids in other ways, we are actually making the gospel visible. We are revealing the heart of our Father and the story that is our story first. There's one more thing that all of this begins to reveal to us. It begins to show us, I believe, what our Heavenly Father wants for each of us as well. You know, because when, when God invites us to come near to the child in, in their pain, to, to embrace a child who has known deep hurt, it will draw us to a place of great beauty and of great brokenness. And we will share in God's joy and we will share in his tears in a way that we never, may never have before. There will be suffering involved. You know, I think of uh, a couple years ago, I spoke at, a, at an event, and at the end of it, a, an elderly couple came down, and the Webbs. He's, he's a retired Air Force pilot. They live up in Northern California. And, and they just wanted to share their story with me. And they told me about how many years before, decades ago, they had fostered a number of kids. And one of them was named Rick. And Rick had come from a very difficult, painful background, but they, they, they knew it would be hard for Rick, and they, but they wanted to just embrace him and love him and bring him to healing. 
But it just felt like everything they did, Rick would just push back against it. He'd re- reject their affection, reject their encouragement. Any boundaries they set, he'd push against them. He'd, and, you know, and he'd say to them, yeah, you go ahead and touch me. I know the law. I'll report you and they'll send you to jail. And, and one Thanksgiving, Mrs. Webb made this great Thanksgiving dinner and they all ate it together. Things seemed to be going well. And right afterwards, Rick went out and he stole the neighbor's farm truck. And then he crashed into a ditch and, and the authorities picked him up and they wouldn't let him go back to the Webb's home because of this. He ended up in juvie for a while, then in group homes, bounced around. When he aged out of foster care, he ended up getting involved in all kinds of different crimes and eventually one of them was quite serious. And, and ultimately, under California's three strikes law, Rick was put behind bars for life. He's still there to this day. And although this all had happened decades ago, I could still hear the pain in the Webb's voice. All these hopes that they had had. All these dreams for how love was going to change everything. But from where they sat at that point, it just looked like failure. And so we need to understand that, that you know, adoption and foster care and all of these things, they, they mirror the gospel story both in its beauty and in its costliness. The gospel story is a story of beauty, but also of thorns and of nails. That's because every child's journey into foster care began with some kind of tragedy. You know, and every child's journey as an orphan began with a tragedy. And usually it gets worse from there. They have suffered as much as any on earth. They have tasted the world at its most broken And so if we open our hearts and our homes and our lives and our private spaces to these children and welcome them in, we will taste some of that pain with them. I think of of the journey that that Rachel, my wife, and I have have been on as well. Um, We, a number of years ago felt a sense of God's invitation to adopt and we went through the long, long process. Any of you who've been through it know it's an immense journey of paperwork and headaches and costs and, and but finally we were matched with this precious little girl and we just celebrated and our family celebrated with us. We, we named her Ayana Rachel after my wife and we were, we were preparing to go and, and get her and bring her home. And then one day at work I got a call from the agency. They said, Jed, we've got some news for you. We, want, we, we would like you to be with Rachel when we tell you. So, so I went home and then we called them back and they said, you know, your little girl, she, was, she had been abandoned at six months old. She was very vulnerable, and her, her, her body was very weak and still only weighed about seven pounds. And they, they said she was just so weak. And she, yesterday she came down with pneumonia, and it, and it took her life this morning. And, you know, it is, it is just amazing how much, even though we had never held her, how much it could pierce our hearts. And we knew it was just the smallest taste, smallest taste of the world's pain. So many parents have lost their children. You know, so many children have lost their parents, and yet it was bitter. And so it raises the question, you know, is this really what God wants for us? Is this what our Father desires for our lives? And I would say both no and yes. I mean, no in the sense that this is not what God intended for earth. When he created humanity, it was in the garden, everything was perfect. So so this is not what God intended. But yes, this is his plan for redemption. God does not have his conquest just by sending in a missile from a distance. God's conquest comes as he enters in and he suffers with. He bore the nails. And so in that sense, yes, this is what God is inviting us into. 
I think the Apostle Paul was getting at this when he said in Philippians, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. You know, and I will say that, that although there is just this blend of sorrow and, and beauty and goodness and celebration and joy and aching all together, that it is, it is I believe, the richest life that we could live. You know, I think of, of actually after Ayana died, our church community actually held a funeral service to help us grieve together. And it was so meaningful for us. And I still remember being there in the church and tears coming down my face and yet thinking about the fact that on the day that Ayana was, was abandoned, there was literally not a single person in the world who would have said, she belongs to me. I will love her. I will care for her. But on that day, there was not just a mother and a father and two sisters and aunts and uncles, but a whole church community who together was saying, she's ours. We, we love her. We will claim her. And we have been blessed by her short life. And somehow that, that beauty and that hurt all come together. And so I, I believe that it ultimately boils down to what is it that we really want our lives to be about, you know? I mean, here's the news, and I don't know if this is good news or bad news, but, you know, a few decades from now, just about everyone in this room is going to be dead, right? And it, for some of us, it's going to be a lot sooner than that. And so what is it that between now and then we want our lives to be about? What is it that when we come to that end and we look back on these brief years, what do we want to see? Do we want to see, you know, it was pretty easy, smooth, convenient, comfortable. Is that really what we want? Or do we want something far harder and far richer? That is why I really believe that this is a journey to undertake together. You know, the vision is not just one family wrapping around one child, but it is a family wrapping around a child that's being embraced by an entire church community together. Just, just like I mentioned with the, the funeral service for Ayana, that was so meaningful for us, for the church community to grieve together. And then later when we, when we actually ended up adopting and, and were able to bring our little girl home, Eden, and the church celebrated with us and rejoiced. And, and there was actually a woman in our church, Lorraine, retired. And, and she actually said, hey, because at that time we actually had gotten pregnant unintentionally amidst that journey. And so we had like a five-year-old, a three-year-old, a, a one-year-old adopted child and a newborn. And it was crazy. And she said, I want to I do the grocery shopping for you. So give me the list and I'm going to go out and do And so for more than a year, she did all the grocery shopping for us. We love Lorraine. You know, she's part of the family. And the truth is that everyone can play a role. I mean, not, let me be clear on this, not every Christian is called to adopt. Not every Christian is called to foster. Not every Christian is to, called to work in family reunification, helping broken families get back together. Not every Christian is called to, to go to the, to the Congo and serve in the work there that this church is involved with. But every one of us can play a part, just like Lorraine. We can, we can contribute financially. We can pray. Families can bring meals. People can run errands. Just, just this last week, actually, when R Rachel and I experienced this in a big way, and our agency said to us, hey, we've got this little baby, six weeks old. He was, he was drug-exposed in utero. He was born at three and a half pounds, and he's six weeks old now. Will, will, you, will you take him? And you know, we felt a little shell shock. We were totally unexpecting it, but 
We brought Louie home, and, and, and Rachel sent a text to some of the ladies in her Bible study, just said like, hey, we, you know, we, I mean, we had gotten rid of all of our baby stuff. We thought this was all done. We did not have any more of those clothes or the, all the things that you need, you know, and, but man, within a few hours, I mean, people were bringing over strollers and, oh yeah, that, this, was, this was a scene that greeted me when I arrived home from work that day. So these are, these are my older kids. They're all playing a role. In fact, let's see a couple of these other slides here. So they are all playing a role. That's Sienna there. The next one is, um, there's Eden helping with the, the feeding there. I mean, see, everyone can play a role. One more slide there. This is Phoebe. Everyone can play a role. And, and our church was doing that. They were, you know, by, by the end, I mean, literally it was like four o'clock, I don't remember, four o'clock when Rachel sent this text. You know, by six o'clock, we had two different dinners that had arrived. It was awesome. And, and we had strollers and car seats and diapers and diaper cream and, you know, the little thing that, that, that you put your diapers in so that it doesn't stink your room up and all that stuff. It was, it was beautiful. That's, that's God's vision for the church together becoming home for the child that has lacked the protection and care that they need. And it is so beautiful as that happens. It's so beautiful to experience it. And it, no one remains the same. I mean, the child is experiencing a love and embrace they never had before, but, but the family has changed. I mean, it's, it's just been so great for all of our kids to experience caring for Louie, and we're praying for her mom that she's going to be able to get off drugs and so she can take him back. We're all in this together. And then the, the broader church community, last Sunday at church, people coming up to, we're praying for you and hey how can we help and all these different things it's it changes all of us together you remember that that young woman from from um tennessee that i mentioned shay whose car burned up you know she had gone on and off to this church there in in her community and there was actually a mechanic in that church who heard about her car and so he reached out to the church and said i, I want to help her so he, the church actually gave her a loan and, and he helped her buy a, a new used car that would, would run for her and he, he actually taught her how to change the oil himself. And then the, the, actually the, this foster system was going to send her to a group home because at her age there was no one who was willing to foster her. And, and so there was a woman in the church named Sharon, a retired uh, woman, a widow, who, who actually said, you know what, I, I would like for her to come live with me. She had been a, a Sunday school teacher and had known Che a little bit. And so Che came to live with her through the rest of high school and actually through college. And it wasn't always easy. Che, che told me, she said, I was not used to having any limits. And so I pushed back hard against Sharon. There was friction. There was fights sometimes. But Che said to me, you ask me now who my mom is, I'll tell you, it's Sharon. And there was a lawyer in the church that helped her with some legal stuff. There was a teacher that actually helped her with some tutoring, with some issues, some, some learning things that she'd had challenges with. The church became home for her. And, you know, a few years ago, Che met this great guy named Nate, great Christian young man. They fell in love. They wanted to get married. And, of course, the natural place for them to get married, they knew it was going to be that church that had so embraced Che. And so on the day of the wedding, it was just, you know, beautiful. And people were full of joy, and Che comes down the aisle and white, just gleaming. But there's one problem. There's no father to give her away. But the church had made plans for that. And when the pastor said, who gives this woman to be married to this man? The whole congregation stood up and said, we do. That's just a little glimpse of what it can look like when God's people together become home for the child that needs it. And you know, it's not always going to turn out the way we 
had expected or hoped. There may be great pain, just like for the webs that I mentioned. In fact, I would say almost certainly there will be pain along the way. But if we remain faithful and if we continue to love and if we support each other in that journey, God's heart will be made visible to the world in a way that it rarely is. You know, the web stayed faithful to Rick over all those years. They continued to write him letters in prison. They sent him little gifts at Christmas and his, and his birthday, even though he said he's never going to read the Christian books they sent him. They just kept loving him and sending him in those ways. And, and not long ago, actually, Rick told them, he said, you know, I've started reading some of those books. And, and he also told them, he said, you know, all those years, I, all those years, I had so many foster families, social workers, he said, not one of them stayed in touch with me except for you guys. And just recently, he started addressing his letters to them in a new way. He begins with these words, Dear Mom and Dad, is that failure or success? We probably won't know in a sense until we get to heaven for many of these stories. But what we can know for sure is that Children without families are the most vulnerable beings on our planet. And we can know that God cares deeply and personally for every single one of them. And that when God's people reflect his love for them, we're showing the world his heart in a way that little else can do. And we can know also that God is inviting us into those places, the places of of great hurt and great beauty. And as we're willing to respond to that, as we're willing to go with him into those places, no one will remain the same. Not the children, not us, not the church community, and not even the watching world who will see, perhaps for the first time, the gospel made visible, God's true heart made tangible before them. May we settle for nothing less than that. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you so much for what you reveal of your true nature and how you love the most vulnerable, the orphan, the child in foster care, Lord. And just please work in our hearts and reveal to us how you would have us reflect that love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.